Hello and welcome to this Life Changes podcast. You are now listening to one of our Sunday messages. If you'd like to know more about Life Changes, you can visit us on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram. Now lean in and enjoy. The choice of not buying a costume was a wise one because I have not entered a competitive race since and never will again. Uh, I think the extent of me, Anna, will put toes in the water because I, I, I shrink back at cold water. I don't want to touch it. I don't want to be involved in it. And I've got this fear about it. But I tell that story because firstly, it still amuses me to remember and reminisce that moment. But also because actually, uh, I think sometimes there's this, I, I just, when I, when I thought of this message and I've been working on what God is saying to us as a community, I got taken back to that moment where I stood on that, that podium waiting for the, the, the get set go moment. And I felt everything inside of me going, I, I can't do this. And the case in point, I, I couldn't do it. But anyway, that's beside the point. But I think you know, sometimes we get stuck on, on the podiums of life. We get stuck on the edge of our potential, the edge of what God is wanting to do in our lives. We get stuck because of disqualifications, because of comparison, because of what our past suggests, what we think our good, what our abilities are. We get stuck on this level. And I think so many of us are disqualified even before we start because we are not taking the leap taking the plunge. I, I want to help us a little bit because how this ties in, some of you may be asking already, how, where, what does that scripture got to do with this? Is as we read that text, and we'll dive into it the next couple of weeks in more detail, but there's just one element I want to hit on this morning. It's a point where it says that the Israelite nation have been set free from Egypt, radical salvation out of Egypt. And it says they're on the way to the promised land. But then it tells us that a journey from Sinai to Kadesh Barnea, which is supposed to take 11 days, 11 days takes them 40 years. 40 years, a generation stand off with, with this incredible history of God's powerful act, rescuing them from their, their past, from their oppressor, from Egypt. But they stand on, and, and for lack of a better word, or lack of a better way to represent it, but they stand on a, on a, on a podium, a, a diving board, waiting to leap into what God has got for them, but they cannot do it, and they just circle around the same journey again and again and again, and on the edge of potential, on the edge of breakthrough, on the edge of, of what God has got, they stay on that moment, on the edge of the promised land. And I really believe that actually a lot of us on, can get sucked into the same sort of lifestyle, same sort of Christianity. We live on the edge of our potential, knowing we've got so much inside of us. We live on the edge of commitment, the edge of the supernatural breaking out in between fear and our future. And this morning, I want to invite us in the next few weeks to something I want to say. I want to invite you to take the plunge. Take the plunge. What, what I mean by that, I, I want to say this phrase, it's more important what you're saved into than what you're saved out of. Let me say it again, it's more important what you're saved into than what you're saved out of. I think for the Israelites, for years, they talked about what God had saved them from, but they weren't allowed to walk into what God was saving them for. And I think sometimes for us, mo most of the most wildest stories we tell are about what God did for us. But I want to tell you the greatest stories are what God is going to do for us. And I pray that. And I think sometimes we get suckered into this. So I want to say this phrase before we get stuck in as well, that faith honors God and God honors faith. If you want a simplicity understanding of Christianity, faith honors God and God honors faith. So I'm going to ask you this morning to lean in because I, I, I wanting, I'm wanting to this morning, I, I really feel like I'm carrying something. I want to impart faith to you. But also in the next few weeks, I want to, I want to teach you a little bit about, about, about faith. 
if that's all right. Because, so if you've got a phone, if, you, if you're not somebody who's good at taking notes, why don't you take your phone out? Even if this is all I can ask you to do is write down some of these scriptures so that you can go read them at home. Because it's a good practice to get into anyway, because then you can test that, is that redhead even saying anything that makes sense? Because actually, if it's not biblical, then you shouldn't be listening to it. So I think you should at least be writing down what scriptures, so you can go and read them yourself and say, does it line up with what he is saying? But I also want to encourage you not just to do it in the cynical way to keep me in, in check, but do it with faith. Because here's the amazing thing. The scriptures tell us that faith comes by hearing the word of God. So when the word of God is preached, faith is birthed in our hearts. But here's another amazing scripture. In the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 4, it says that the word of God came to them, but it was of no value to them because they did not mix it with faith. So it's this two-way relationship. The word comes and births faith in our hearts, but also faith should leap in our hearts and meet the worth halfway. This is the relationship. That actually the most powerful force of the universe and from God's side is His word. It never returns void. The most powerful force in the universe from our side is something called faith. And when faith and His word collide, all things are possible. And I want to encourage you this morning. So I really believe that faith is coming to our hearts. We said it last week. Please do not be afraid when we do sevens to say amen. That's good. Preach it, white boy. Whatever you feel is applicable for the morning. But we say that not to get, uh, not because we've got some model of church. Now we want, oh, we want to be that type of church. No, we do that because actually when we lean in with faith, that activates the power of God's word So in our lives. So why don't we do that this morning? Now I want you to pray and then we'll preach. Father, I pray a simple prayer, God, awaken our hearts to you, Jesus. Strip us of all uh, civilized, uh, somber, sober-minded, lazy, apathetic approach to you, Jesus. Grip our hearts, shake them so that we'll know how to respond appropriately, Jesus, because I really pray right now, Father, every single heart here, including mine, especially mine, would, would hear your word and would respond and take the plunge because, God, I pray that the best is ahead of us. And that's not some charismatic speech, Father. That's your heart for us. So God, would you awaken it in us? In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Some quick stories. If you are visiting this morning or if you're unaware of, of, of our journey as a church, I'd just love just to give you five minutes into a little bit of expose of, of that journey. Year 2009, um, I was a young 21-year-old living at home with my mom and dad. And uh, I got through the end of the year where actually after studying at marketing for three years, this passion inside of me of actually I, I loved university, I loved marketing, but all I wanted to do was preach the gospel. That's all I wanted to do. And I remember getting to the end of that year going, but how does someone make that happen? Like is, do I go on LinkedIn? Is, that, is there like a thing where you send out your CV? Like I don't know how that works. But I was involved in the church at that stage. And I went, I said to them, this is what I want to do. And they said, actually, we know that you want to do that. We also see that call in your life. And long story short, they said, we want to make an opportunity for you to, to come on staff at our church to do that. Or we believe God will open a door somewhere else for you to do that. And I remember I was like, wow, that's so exciting. And, uh, and I was so excited to go on staff there in Durban to stay at that church. And, and, and I had great friends there. And as I started to read scripture and started to pray and trust God for this, this journey ahead, the more I started to hear God saying, you're not going to come on staff at this church. I'm going, all I want is to preach the gospel, and the only opportunity for me to do it is here. It seems like it makes sense. It's like an open door. You know, we often say it was an open door. I just had to do it. But we don't serve a God of open doors. We serve a God who speaks. 
And here's the great news. As I started to read scripture, I read the scripture, and more and more, there's a scripture, text Genesis 12, which says, and I remember writing it down and putting it all over my wall. It says, God speaking to Abraham, but I appropriated it in faith for myself. And for that moment, I felt God's voice speak to me saying, go to the land I'll show you. Leave your mother and father's house, and I'll, I'll show you the land I'm taking to you. And I was like, well, that means I'm moving away. And I didn't know what it looked like. I didn't know how I'd do this. The only opportunity I had, I was going to say no to. I remember going, this sounds foolishness. I've got this desire, and I'm saying no to it because you're leading me, God. So this journey got to me saying, going to the elders after a while saying, at the church saying, guys, I know you've offered me this job for next year. I can't take it. And they're like, but you told us you want. Are you mad? Well, God's spoken, and I have to be obedient to this, this, this journey. What do you think? And, and in the, along this journey, he, they said, actually, you know what? It's amazing that you actually said that because another man has phoned and said, would, you, would, 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 you, would we be willing to send you to his church to go and work for his church? God had already, this phone call happened before I'd even said this conversation to the, the pastors at that church. It's amazing how God opened the doors. So fast forward, it's one of those men was a man named Wally Gertzmeyer who arrived at our church. I had never, clues, never laid eyes on him, did not know who he was. The name Wally was, from, for me, was a man dressed in stripy red shirts and a little hat that you had to find in books. <laughs> and now this man called Wally arrives at our church. Not for, I didn't have to look for him. He came looking for me. And the amazing thing was, I remember on that, that he came at the end of November to preach at our church. And um, the, the, that, that night I got to meet him. And after that moment, he came and said to me, actually, you know what? We're looking for a youth pastor at our church in Cape Town. I'd never been to Cape Town in my life. He said, why don't you fly down and come check it out? And if you like it, you can have a job next year. If not, you can have a free trip to Cape Town. I said, I like that deal. And a long story short, there's lots of ins and outs in this journey, but I came down and God spoke. And, and, and the, the long and short of it was I came down the first week of December. Three weeks later, I was driving down in a, in a Toyota Taz with my dad to come and start work here in Cape Town. And I, and I moved into a house of a man that I'd met a month before to a city I'd never been before, a city that had no family. And I was 21. Maybe that's not a big deal for you, but for me, it was a huge move of faith because God has spoken. Now, and for me, it was different. Now, let me keep, keep the story going. In 2010, I arrived to church. Life Change Church uh, was only in Tableview with one meeting at 9 a.m. And it was, it was a meeting that was a bit bigger than this, just a little bit bigger than this room, amount of people. That was the extent of Life Change's church. And I remember when I arrived there, and then it was this, I met this amazing man called Malcolm Herbert, who was not on staff, who's just a businessman. But he said, actually, he's got a passion to raise up young guys. And at that stage, there were not many of us, Duran, myself, and a couple others. And he, and, he, and he said, come, I want you dodgy guys to come around. And he said, and he said, why don't we start an evening service? And he said, we'll do it so we can reach young people. Now, we looked around. There weren't many young people. And we said, okay. And uh, there wasn't a huge uptake from the church. The church said, oh, why not? Go for it. So we, this man, Malcolm Herbert, who's a businessman, not a preacher, not a, he's not a, a pastor. He's just somebody who, with a bit of vision, see, actually, there's a gap. Let's take it. And we started the evening service, not because there was an overwhelming need. The morning wasn't bursting. We need an evening service. No, it was a man with faith. The amazing thing was in that April, Easter of 2010, we, the young guys, myself, Duran, and a couple other guys, we said we would love to do a Good Friday service. The church had never had a Good Friday service. And we thought we wanted to do it in a creative way. We were not skilled. We were, we, I, we had, I'd hardly preached in my life, but I said, we'll do it. Because Wally said, actually, that sounds cool, but you guys go ahead. So the amazing thing, Wally just made space. There was space. So we said, we'll do it. We hosted the Good Friday service. We actually backed away a little bit from faith because we thought nobody would come because it was us doing it. Not the church wasn't doing it. We were doing it. 
and there was, uh, there's a small, what is now the life, the, the children's church hall, which can seat at a push 80 people. So we did a service in this dark and dingy children's church hall with, they can seat 80 people, and I remember about 100 people pitched up. And we were like, oh my word, we're amazing. <laughs> Singing dodgy songs in the wrong key. You know, it just was, it was, I, know, I can just think back, it wasn't great, but there was faith. Can I tell you what's so profound? That service, done almost in, in the, on the obscurity on the sideline, that was the first time we did a Good Friday or Easter service. We've done one every, every year since. This past Easter, across our campuses, we had 1,400 adults at our Easter services. Now, I'm not saying that this is what leads to that, but I'm telling you, sometimes we do something in faith, and it looks like this, but God says, I, you don't know what I have in mind. That service started growing, and God's doing amazing things there. But in 2016, for us, we started to pioneer again. We said, actually, we, we can't just stay where we are. We believe that God is stretching us. So 30 people came from Tableview and started Life Changes Milnerton. Now, I, I, if, I don't know if you look around this morning, the whole bunch of people here, but 30 people started this meeting a couple of years back. But there are over 200 people called Life Changes Milnerton Home. Many of them have been saved into this church who found Christ here, found family here, found community here. And I go, on the back of 30 people, now I tell you those 30 people are great people, but none of them are extraordinarily brilliant. Me at the head of the queue, very ordinary, but serve an extraordinary God who honors faith. I honor faith. He honors faith. And I go, the best, for me, this is not the end. This is not us putting a stake. This is great. There's more. But 2018 came. And a table view at that side, there was one morning meeting, and it was the month of May, and they said, actually, you know what, it's winter time, we're going to winter, numbers usually drop off in winter because people like to watch series at home on winter because they're not as faithful as you guys, you know? You know? But so we thought, you know, strategically, not the best time to try something new, but they thought, and we thought, why don't we move from one meeting from nine to two meetings, 8.30 to 10.30, and see what God does with strategy, with wisdom, wasn't just on, the, on, a, on a whim, but actually we've got to trust God in this journey. On the back of that, launching it in May, which according to everyone else saying, that's stupid, wait till summer, do launch in those months, we're actually saying, we're going to trust God in His timing, it's not the right time for natural sake, but let's trust Him. Let me tell you, three weeks ago, when I went and I got the privilege to, nice to see you, Keegan, by the way, good to have you back, he's back from his operation, really, really cool to see you. Three weeks ago, I had the privilege of preaching at all our morning meetings, the table view and here, and I had the privilege of driving into each service a little bit late because I was, I was running late from each service, getting there, seeing the car park and table view full and overflowing at the 8.30, arriving at Seamount Primary School, seeing the car park full and overflowing at 9.30, going back to table view and seeing the car park full and overflowing at 10.30. And I go, God, you're on a faith. And what's amazing is in 2006, the man Wally Gersmeyer wrote a letter to himself about the church that he dreamt of. And his, they just built the building in Tableview. And he said, God, my dream is that this on Sundays, I, want to, I look out and I see this car park full of cars. That, and while he's, when we remind him of this letter, he puts his head down saying, how small I was dreaming. But for him, it was huge. I saw three car parks full and overflowing. Overflowing down all the way to Bayside almost. This one all the way down the road there. People are parking all the way. I go, God, you're doing something. You respond to faith. And then I want to tell you, 2019, you saw the video, but I want to tell you, we're planting a church. Life changes city, happening in the very heartbeat of our city. We're putting a stake in the ground, a place, again, where churches, we know there's some friends of us here who are involved in planting churches in the city, and it's hard. They've, they've, they've closed churches in the city, but God has spoken, just like He has it before. He's spoken, and we say, God, we want to plant again. 
I, I want to remind you, when we planted Milneton, we were told that Milneton is a church graveyard. That churches start in the, this, these halls, and then they go and they die. But we said, but God has spoken. We don't respond to man. So I say these things because I want you to realize that actually for us, when we say we are planting a church, we're not meaning a leadership team is planting a church. We're saying we, life changes, are planting a church. We are planting a church. Can you tell, look to the person next to you and just say with as much excitement you can muster, tell them, we are planting a church. Come on, do it. And I want to help us this morning, just with that as a background, I know it's not the full extent of it, but it's helpful to understand what God is doing in the community before we can understand what He's doing in our own individual lives, because I think they are uniquely tied. In our individualistic lives, we love to listen to YouTube preachers and just apply it from a different context and apply it to our lives, and that's fine and that's okay. But there's power when the Word of God is preached into community and we respond together because He's doing something not just with individuals, but with us. He is doing something. I want to tell you, Life Changes Milton, my prayer is that we would own the city's church as our church. It's going to be an evening service, so I want to encourage you, if you come to Milton in the morning, come to the evenings as well in the city, launching in October. At the very least, come to the worship night on the 17th of July. Come and worship. It's at the St. Andrew's Presbyterian uh, church building, beautiful pews. It's this incredibly significant historic building and I've seen God do incredible things over the years. And we say, God, we believe you haven't finished with that building yet. M much more, you haven't finished with the city yet. We're going to declare your gospel. And we're trusting that you, you're going to come join us. This is our story, not one person's story, not one person's vision, but our story because actually I believe our futures are connected together. But I want to help us with faith, and with that as a background, and this Deuteronomy 1 chapter passage, and these stories of faith in our lives, I want to see, show you how they collide. I want to tell you a little bit this morning about something called take the plunge faith. Just say it with me, take the plunge. Good. Take the plunge faith. I want to teach you about this morning. Number one, take the plunge faith is not convenient. If you want to know what take the plunge faith looks like, it's not convenient. What I mean by that is that we got together and we decided uh, we're going to plant this church in the city in October this year because God has spoken. The building has come into being at the right time, but miraculously God has put these conversations that were burning in our hearts for a long time have come to a head now. And it just seems like it's God's timing is all over this thing, that October is the time we're going to launch this thing. And guess what? I had a baby four weeks ago. <laughs> it's not convenient. I want to tell you that actually conventional wisdom would say consolidate. Conventional wisdom would say settle down, relax, relax, let's take some time, let's work this out. And now I'm not, not pushing aside wisdom and good advice, but I'm saying sometimes take the plunge faith is slightly unhinged. And I think we are so quick to put the disclaimers on faith. We're so quick to say, yeah, take the leap, but... But make sure you've got, but be careful, but be wise, but find the right time. Can I tell you, take the plunge faith is never convenient. I say it this way, either your feelings will affect your faith or your faith will affect your feelings. Only one of two things happen. We have to decide today, will my feelings affect my faith or will my faith affect my feelings? There's only two choices. Will, will the way you respond to God be determined by how I'm feeling, how my situation is, how everything's lining up in our, my world? Or will my feelings, how I'm feeling, how things are shaping up, be affected by my faith? You get to choose. Because I, I say this again and again, but 
we got to be a people who make the decision whether to be, are we a thermometer that just measure the temperature around us, that measure the cynicism, that measure the frustration, that measure people's resentment, people's sin, or are we thermostats that set the temperature? What, what are we? It, it filters down into, I've made the decision years ago that when I come to worship, whether I feel like it or if I don't, I am a thermostat. I set the temperature. I'm not a thermometer going, oh, you know what? Oh, it's, it's them leading worship today. Oh, flip, it's a bit cold today. Uh, oh, I've had a tough week. I'm not going to, no, I'm a thermostat. I set the temperature because I look to him and I respond to him, not to my circumstance. Will your feelings affect your faith or your faith affect your feelings? Make the decision today. There's a story in the book of 1 Kings 17. Write it down, 1 Kings 17. A bizarre story about a woman called the widow of Zarephath. I love this story. The story introduces us to this character, the widow of Zarephath. She's lost her husband. She has one son. And the Bible tells us in a famine, a time where there's a huge drought, the community is, 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 is not thriving. There's no life. There's nothing really good going on. It says she's walking around collecting sticks. The reason why? She's going home to make a fire, cooked her last remaining amount of food, have a meal with her son, and it says, and then they're going to lie down and die. Welcome to a very bleak story. Lost my husband. The economy's gone to, to, to pot. I've got only one little bit of food left. Actually, let's make ourselves comfortable and let's die. At that moment, it says that the man of God, the prophet of God, the, 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 the word of God arrives in her home. A man named Elijah walks into a story. And he says, the first thing Elijah says to her, it's amazing, I love this. Elijah comes and says to her, not, he's, not, he's not pastorally minded at all. He doesn't walk in saying, how are you doing? How, how, are you okay? I know it's been tough. I've actually brought a care package with me. No, no, Elijah walks in and says to her, can you make me a meal? I read this, I'm like, Elijah, you are not a people person. You are really not a people person. But thank goodness he's not a people person. He's a God person above it because he says, make me a meal. And she goes, hey, don't you know that I've got one little meal left. I, I, the economy is terrible. I, I can't even provide. I'm, we're going home to die. And he says, no, no, make me a meal. Go read the story behind the rest of the story. But paraphrase what happens is this woman, she, in that moment, she responds. A widow of Zarephath. We don't even know her name. We just know her circumstance. But we thank God that she don't respond to her circumstance. She responded to the word of God that came and said, make me a meal. She went home and made him a meal. And it says, in that city, while there was drought and famine, her home never ran out of food from that day forth. I'm like, something's different. Not responding to circumstances, not responding to outside exterior environments, but responding to the Word of God. It's not convenient. I've just lost my husband. It's not convenient. The economy's bad. It's not convenient, but I'm going to take the plunge. This is what we call to. You see the Israelites in Deuteronomy 1, 11-day journey, 40 years took them on the edge of the promised land, looking in, never taking the plunge, on the edge, seeing the giants, seeing the opposition, saying, we're going to retreat. They start to complain to Moses and say, let's go back to Egypt. Why? They said, because at least in Egypt, when we died, they gave us graves. That's the extent of their faith. They said, actually, we can see the future, but actually, we, we, we can't get in there. So let's actually go backwards, because at least there we've got nice, neat graveyards. I love what Jesus said. There's a guy who comes to Jesus and says, Jesus, I want to follow you. Jesus doesn't have many followers at this time. Jesus' ministry is just taking off. If I'm Jesus, if someone comes to me at that stage, I'm like, great, thank goodness. Let's get your email, your WhatsApp, your fax, because I want to get you in. You know, I need, I need people. I need you. 
So the guy says, I want to come follow you, Jesus, but first, I'm just going home to bury my dad. My dad's just died. I want to go and bury him. Now, if I'm Jesus, I'm going, go, hey, take two weeks. Take two weeks, man. It's, let me know. I'll, again, we'll, we want some guys to go with you. Jesus says this, Jesus just confronts everything on convenience. And, and make, it's almost as like, it f- freaks me out, if I'm honest, when I read these statements. It freaks the pastoral nature in me. Because Jesus says to him, he said, I want to follow you, but let me first go bury my dad. Jesus responds with this statement. Let the dead bury the dead. You come, follow me. What is going on here? Jesus is actually pulling at something that's deeper here. Because actually, I think for us, we're people. That's Matthew 8, 22. If you want to go read that one. Convenient faith will leave you on the edge of potential, leave you on the edge of breakthrough, will leave you on the edge of inheritance and adventure, but it will never take you in. That's what convenient faith will do. Secondly, this morning, take the plunge. Faith is not comfortable. In 2009, when I made the decision to move to Cape Town, made the decision of going to Cape Town, remember saying, how am I going to get there? A week before I moved to Cape Town, a family in our church phoned in Durban, said, phone, can we come around? We want to come and give you something because I know we heard you leaving. They arrived at the door. And they said, Gabe, we want to give you this. And they gave me a key. They said, there's a car parked outside. This is yours. Sign the paper. It's in your name. I remember standing there going, we, we left Zimbabwe with, with, with just suitcases and a little bit of money in the bank. We arrived and going, how are we going to make a future? Our future is not in man. Our future is in God's hand. When, he, when we respond to faith, God says, I'll make a way. A family just gave me a car. I remember in that moment being a bit perplexed. And I remember thinking, they must be very rich. I'm being honest, that was my mindset, because I thought only rich people can give away cars. And I remember praying the prayer, saying, God, one day I want to be rich enough to give away a car. I prayed that prayer. I really did. And last year, we were in this, and I want to just tell you, I'm not rich. <laughs> Still prophesying. But last year, we were in the worship service in this very hall. If you want to know what God does, we say we sing. And now we, I'm not just saying this is just to jeer us up. God does supernatural things in our hearts. In this hall, my wife is standing and she says to me, she worships after we get in the car. She says, yeah, God spoke to me. I'm like, oh, that's awesome. Great. What did he say? Did he encourage you? Did he tell you you're doing well? No, my wife is quite black or white. No, we finished paying off your car in December, she said. I said, yeah. She says, God said we must give it away. So I'm like, Cool. I remember driving going, women should learn quietly <laughs> and in submission to the man. I did not say that. If you know my wife, I would, no. But I remember saying to her, yeah, let's do that. Because it was a couple months out and I thought, maybe she'll forget. I'll be honest. Inside of me, I'm going, wow, that's a big thing. Because we had planned to tea. Okay, when that money's, we can, then we are able to do this. Then we, wow, because things have been tight. But if we do that money, it makes sense in our heads. And now, and to be honest, my wife, I, I thank God that God, God sends people. He puts my wife, she's so amazing. She hears God and she obeys. There's no gray with her. Unfortunately for me, sometimes I'm a bit doff and I had to think. I, re- I said yes outside. But, but to be honest, for my, the next two months, I wrestled in my heart. I promise you, I've said it before, but I said to God, God, if we keep the car, we can lend it to lots of people. Because we've been, been doing that, and it's been a blessing. I said, we can do it. Not just one person, we can lend it to many people. I said, God, imagine, I can, if I have two cars, we can give how many people lifts? I start doing the maths with them. How many lifts can we give people? Huh? God, I told you I'm on this thing, man. 
But I, I, you know what? The incredible thing is I wrestled down my hand, but I, I remember God at one stage just suddenly said to me, it's not about the car. And, and it's God saying to you, Gab, you, and it's a word I've stolen from a man called Erwin McManus, but he said, Gab, you, you, you're a barbarian. You're not, you're not a civilized Christian that works out the T's and C's. You're a barbarian that says, yes, Lord. You're my provider. Yes, Lord. And he said, that's what you're created for. And he said, you're not made for safe, secluded, sanitized living. And actually, I thank God for these wrestles in my heart because God's got to open my hand again, saying, God, I don't trust the, my ability to make things work and work out the budget because when I have to do that, the fear's on me, the, the burden's on me. But when I trust you, and I'm not advocating for no wisdom, but I'm saying, actually, when you speak, God, I obey. Because when I obey, then it's on you because you said and you provide. And here's the amazing thing is that actually there's a story that Matthew 8 sort of story carries on in chapter, verse 21. A guy comes and says, Jesus, I want to follow you, but and I'll go anywhere for you. I'll go anywhere for you, Jesus. I'll go anywhere. And Jesus responds to this guy again. I can imagine if a guy comes and says, I want to follow you. I'll go anywhere, Jesus. Jesus would have said to him, that's cool. I'm so glad you signed up. You know, I know you're a bit stressed about where we're going to go. I'll send you the itinerary on email. You'll see all the, the places, the Airbnbs we're staying at for our ministry tour. It's all lined up. It's an amazing ministry tour. You'll, be, you'll, be, you'll love it. No, Jesus doesn't say that. Jesus says to a guy, he says, it's just, Jesus, I really sometimes feel Jesus probably could have done well with a marketing guy. He wasn't good at this stuff. I say that tongue in cheek because actually he doesn't line up with how we would respond. But Jesus says to this guy, I'll follow you anyway, Jesus. He says, foxes have holes, birds have nests, but the son of man has no place to lay his head. It was almost like Jesus was trying to push them away. But we've painted a Christianity where Jesus is trying to beg you, please come follow me. I'll, I'll make it easy for you. Please. He's not begging you. He's calling you. Come follow me. And I want to tell you in this moment, God will always challenge you outside your comfort and convenience. Why? Because God will never challenge you with what you're willing to give because it will not require faith. That's huge. I tell you, that's the, if you want to know simplicity of how a relationship with God works, faith honors God and God honors faith. It's impossible to please Him without faith. So why will He ask you something, hey, I've got 10 rand spare, cool, I'll give that. That's good enough. No, 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 God will always challenge you what you're not willing to part with. And I said it earlier, it's not about the car, but I want to say it strongly, uh, with courage in my heart, the car is also not a metaphor. Let's not just metaphor this down. The car is sometimes provision. It's physical things. It's not a metaphor, okay, cool, I'll give him more of my heart. Jesus said, your heart is linked to your treasures. So I really pray, when, when we gave away that car, it was for me for the person who received it, but I prayed, I said, God, would this be for our community in our area that struggles with lack, that struggles with financial provision? I said, God, would we be a community as I sow this car? I'm sowing it not just for myself, but for my community, and that we would hear many other stories of rich people giving away cars in our community. That we'll have rich people giving away money. That we'll have rich people giving away. I love my wife. I promise you, the incredible way my wife always hears God. And it seems like the only thing God ever tells her is give away money. <laughs> I, I really, it's, it's, it challenges me. I tell you this. She can, again, this last week said, I feel we need to give this, these people X amount of money. I'm like, oh. 
She said to me, I'm going to go read my Bible. I was like, no, watch TV rather. <laughs> I say that jokingly, but I say that word, no, I'm not joking. I love it that she hears that. Because I know my heart gets small very quickly. But I'm a barbarian. We give things away. And I want to say, maybe, maybe let's just pretend. Can we just pretend quickly? Let's pretend that we are rich. Maybe you're sitting here and you're going, I'm not. I'm not. One day, when I get there, let's just pretend we're rich. And let's, let's, why don't we start living like that? Be crazily generous. And let's just see what God does. And let's just see what God does. How much fun? How much fun? We got to pretend. If it doesn't work out, come chat to me. I'll, I'll give you money. I'm rich. <laughs> but let's just, let's just see what God does. Because God honors faith. And faith honors God. You know, often, even I saw this on, and I say this, I'm speaking to myself. I see on Facebook, it's awesome. A lot of people these days are getting stirred. Well, hey, God, we'll go on a mission trip, or we'll, we'll go and we'll move to that area for ministry. We'll go serve people. And they, they're responding to the call of God. But then I often see straight after, and yes, the social media, they start a GoFundMe Kickstarter that other people must pay for. And it's funny. I realize that that's our generation. A generation of dreamers, but somebody else must pay for it. Because if that doesn't work, I want my bank account safe when I come back. Just a thought. Just a thought, yeah? Provoking, because I think sometimes God says, actually, will you trust me with your finances? Anyway, I want to tell you, comfortable faith will leave you on the edge of potential, the edge of breakthrough, the edge of inheritance, the edge of adventure, but it'll never take you in. Is everyone okay? Can we go 10 minutes longer? I'm not apologizing for that. You can all have free coffee afterwards if you want. I want to tell you, take the plunge. Faith is also not cautious. Not cautious. There's a story of, in the, the turn of the century, something caught in the Christian world caught excitement. There was a, a call, and a whole bunch of people became one-way missionaries. One-way missionaries. Let me read you about it. It says this. At the turn of the 20th century, they bred a group who became known as one-way missionaries. When they departed for the mission field, they packed all of their belongings into a coffin and bought one-way tickets because they knew they'd never return home. Peter Milne was one of those missionaries. He felt called to a tribe of headhunters, but Milne didn't shrink back into safe Christianity. He served in the New Hebrides for more than 50 years. The tribe buried him and wrote the following words on his tombstone. When he came, there was no light. But when he left, there was no darkness. When I started reading those stories about one-way missionaries who packed their goods in a coffin and said, we're buying one ticket because I'm never coming home. The cutting of all safety. This was not some cautious gospel of like, hey, if it feels convenient, if it feels comfortable, if it's a good season for you, why don't you give it a go? And I wrote, I wrote this, and this is for me as a parent, a new parent, I wrote, show your kids a life that's far more attractive and dangerous than the seeming wildness and adventure of sin. People are complaining, and I, I'd say this with knowing that I've got this journey, but going, hey, we've got to pray for my teenagers that they don't go down the wrong path, they don't go to the wrong friends, they don't do these things. And I want to say, yes, the enemy is real, and we've got, to, we've got to pray for those things, but I also want to say, why have we sold them that showing that the alternative is a safe, boring Christianity? When the lure of sin is so wild and out there. When actually the faith should be so wild and out there. 
Mom and dad are stepping out and are doing things that are requiring huge faith. Take your kids, show them. I'm saying, I want my daughter and my boy to know that dad not was a great preacher or did a great church, was a man of faith. Because pastors' kids get in trouble. But men of faith, they see something. They'll say, God, I want that as well. I tell this I tell the story where I say, not cautious. There was a woman who for 12 years was in a, in a story in Luke chapter 7. Please go read it at home. A woman who had an issue of blood for 12 years. She stood on the periphery of community, on the periphery on the, of, 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 of future, on the periphery, on the outside. She stood there. But then she heard Jesus walk. The word of God incarnate walked into her story. And this, this woman who for 12 years was had to stand at the outside looking in. On that moment, everything rised up inside of her. And I, and I can imagine she said, it's not convenient, it's not comfortable, it's, I'm, I, I, it's not cautious, but I'm going to push this crowd, I'm getting to that man no matter what. And I love this woman's faith, this is like a take the plunge faith, where she, I can imagine her going, looking at the crowd, how am I going to get there, oh, heck, here goes. If you ever remember that old Nickelodeon show, Keenan and Kel, oh, here goes. That's for the 90s kids. But it was like, ah, oh, here goes. And she just starts pushing through. A woman who was not supposed to be in the crowd because she was a woman. She had an issue of bleeding, which means that she should have been set apart from the crowd. A woman who, who is not even named in three gospels. She pushes past the crowd. And with every person, I can imagine her people looking and saying, what are you doing, woman? What are you doing? Get out of here. What's happening here? But with every step, her eyes were fixed on Jesus saying, I am not leaving until I get to him. And I'm saying, God. Often my faith is I stand at the crowd. You know, when, if there's a gap, I'm going to take it. If I step in, we actually have to say, God, it's not cautious. It's me laying a hold of you at any cost. Cautious faith will leave you on the edge of the crowd looking in. Because actually the, the generation of, of the Israelites, they said God can do it for them. But a whole generation, that whole generation did not go into the promised land. A whole generation died out and the next generation went in. Why? Because a whole generation stood on the edge, didn't take the plunge and said, yeah, we know God can do it for them, but not for us. I want to tell you, we're not those people. We're not people who are going to tell stories of other people. We're going to be a people who tell stories about what God did for us. Take the plunge of faith. Finally, it's not convenient, it's not comfortable, it's not cautious, but it is costly. It is costly. I'll speak about that next week. So I want to land with this illustration. If I can call uh, my good friend Conrad, are you able to come help me? And Andrew Mack, I need, I need you guys very quickly. These are my, my helpful friends. You can, I'll climb up here. However, you guys can, you can use the more sophisticated way if that's possible. As I was praying, I thought, God, help me articulate this, 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 this burning desire. Sometimes I, I feel like, you know, sometimes I want to say stuff. But I don't know if I have the right words to say to get it through. But I, I was really trusting for something, a deposit in our hearts of faith. Not just words, but something in our hearts. And I, I think sometimes, so often, many of us, we, God is calling us out into an adventure. And I, I know many of you are thinking, YouTube fail, here it comes. Yeah. All I've got to say is, you of little faith. But I think when I read that scripture, 11-day journey, 40 years. 11-day journey, 40 years, a whole community. God saying, you've seen my mighty hand in Egypt. I set you free from Pharaoh. I'm taking you to the promised land. Go in. And for 40 years, the people stood on the periphery, stood on the edge of potential, the edge of adventure, the edge of obedience, the edge of breakthrough. But it was not convenient. It wasn't comfortable. And they were, it was, they were too cautious. So they stood on the edge, looking in, but never entering it. It will require too much of us. But I want to tell you that actually take the plunge faith causes us to take stumbling steps out. 
And we start to worry and we start to get nervous and we retreat. But take the plunge, faith calls us out. There's a story of a man in the Gospels named Peter. And Peter and the disciples on the boat. And a storm comes up and says, they look out, they see a man walking across the water towards them. And they thought it was a ghost. And Peter, they're all here in the boat looking. And all of them are nervous, going, it's a ghost, it's a ghost. And only one man says, Peter says, it's not a ghost, that's Jesus. And Peter says to him, Lord, if that's you, tell me to come out on the water to you. Jesus doesn't say, wait there, Peter, I'm coming. Man, I'm walking on the water, I'm coming. Stay in the boat, I can preach to you better there. It's quite loud out here in the storm. No, Jesus says one word to Peter, come. And a man named Peter, not any of the other disciples, one man steps out on the water. And starts to stumble out. Stumble out in this moment, yeah. Stumble out in this moment. And I want to say this in this, this, this understanding. In this moment is that I think so often we feel that the adventure is to watch other people do it. When God is saying, actually, will you step out? Will you say, it's not con- is it a convenient time? It's not a convenient time. Is it comfortable? No. It's out of my comfort zone. Heck, this is bringing back fearful memories of diving into a pool again. I'm getting nervous. But I want to tell you, we sing a song here from time to time. It's a song that has a bridge that says, Spirit, lead me where my trust is without borders. Let me walk upon the waters wherever you may lead me. Take me deeper than my feet could ever wander. And my faith will be made stronger in the presence of my Savior. And the band will get going. Probably shouldn't bounce too much. The band will get going, and it's easy to sing it. Spirit, lead me where my trust is without borders. It's a different thing to say, Spirit, lead me and walk it out where my trust is without borders. I'm telling you, take the plunge faith. Starts not with bravado, not with us getting at the right moment, not saying I need this amount of time in church. I need someone to give me a word. I need to do this. Take the plunge faith starts with saying, Jesus, I know you because here's the amazing thing. I am not taking a risk here. Why? Because I've got the two biggest guys in the church standing on the back. Let me tell you, faith saying, God, I'm putting the onus on you. If this thing collapses, it's on you guys. (laughs) But that's what faith is, because faith honors God and God honors faith. I want to invite you and me for the next few weeks, we're going to be exploring this passage and take the plunge faith. I want to say, take those scriptures, go read them, allow God, say, God, would you put faith in my heart and start opening my hands. For next week, some of you need to get baptized. You need to literally take the plunge. You've been coming to church for years, doing Christianity, and you've put even theologies away. You haven't got baptized, or you say, I'm waiting till I overcome this sin. Don't wait. Jesus says, come. Some of you need to start giving. Some of you start need to get in community. Some of you, just, even those, those things, they may seem small. Those things, by faith, God says, I honor it. But some of you also, God is saying, there's a big story. There's a bigger journey. There's a big adventure. Will you trust me? And I want to say again and again that God honors faith, and faith honors God. Take the plunge. Can we stand to our feet? I'd love to pray for us now. Thank you, guys. Thank you, thank you, thank you. That was amazing. I know we've gone a little bit longer. Usually, if you're visiting, we finish the service just before 11. But I really feel that God is doing something with us. I feel it deep in my heart that God is shifting things. Even as we declared, we are planting a church. Can I tell you, making that video, I was freaked out because I thought, now we've said it. Now we can't go back. We've put it on social media. Oh, no. It's etched in stone. 
It's much easier to have those conversations, easier to have friends and tell them what you would love to do one day. It's a different thing as when you say, I'm going public with this. And I want to say, it's time to go public with your faith. Not a hidden, not a secret agenda on your own. I believe God is wanting to raise up the barbarians. I use that term again and again throughout this thing. Actually, I want to tell you, Christians are not going to heaven. People who love Jesus do. Christians need to get saved from their religion. Just as much as Hindus, Buddhists, atheists, Christians need to see Jesus and go, it's actually not about a religion. Jesus did not come to start a religion, another option. He came to say, I'm showing you the only way. It's a way of radical faith where you lay everything aside to follow me. That actually let the bear dead bury the bear dead. Leave that. There's no place for you to live, no place for you to lay your head. Follow me. Come. This is the word of God to us as a people. And I pray that as we allow the mix it with the word comes, faith should start to bubble in your heart. And as you have faith in your heart, start to link with the word, impossible things happen. Right now, I believe barbarians are being raised up and are being released. If that's you this morning, like me, and you're saying, actually, I need to not just stand on the periphery, but I need to take the plunge. And I want, I'm, I'm asking Jesus to put, take the plunge faith in my heart. Lift your hands as high as you can, please. I again say, uh, uh, do, it, do, it, do it with courage. But also I know that it will cost you. It will cost you. I'm not a prosperity preacher telling you right now, if you put your hands up and do this, God will make everything work out for you. I cannot do that with a religion or a, 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 a savior whose way that he saved us was to die. And whose every disciple they first called to follow him died despicable deaths. This is a dangerous path, not for people who just want safe, secluded, sanitized religion. This is a barbarian faith where we hear God and we say yes to him again and again. It's not convenient. It's not comfortable. It's not cautious. It's generous. It's extravagant. It's radical. It's obedient. It's, 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 not, it's deaf to the opinion of man. It's saying, yes, Jesus, your name above all other names. So, Father, I pray right now for every hand lifted, you are reestablishing calls. Right now, where men and women have forgotten that call. Where dreams of, uh, maybe even in the kindling state, dreams are being ignited right now. Pour fuel on them and don't stop. Pour fuel on them and don't stop. I thank you, Father God, that you have brought men and women into this room today. And it's not just one voice that's being echoed out. It's all of us. There's a, there's a communal aspect. As fires start to burn in our hearts, barbarian fires that say we are in this journey for take the plunge faith. I thank you, Jesus. Spirit, lead us where our trust is without borders. Let me walk upon the waters wherever you may call me. Take me deeper than my feet could ever wander. And my faith will be made stronger in the presence of my Savior. Father, would faith arise, collide with your word. And Father God, I pray today would be a day that we'll look back on and say we're never the same. I thank you, Father God, for what you're doing in me, in us, and in the city because of us, Jesus. I pray this in your mighty name. Amen. Amen.